episode 28 of the passive hang welcome back guys it's Fayon here and if you haven't already check out the passive where i'm building it up to be a library of movement resources for all you enthusiasts out there i've started with the locomotion practice but there's more to come check it out now the passive Thanks, guys, once again for tuning in. This is another episode of The Passive Hang. I think we're up to episode 28, 28 now, uh, and I have Jason Round on the podcast, who is a teacher residing in Bern, Switzerland. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you much for having me, Fan. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, I've been following your, uh, your teaching and what you share on, you know, various platforms instagram your blog and youtube for a while i've really enjoyed that so yeah keen to get sort of stuck in with some of the concepts that you that you share um but maybe i'd love to hear just personally like how how's your practice sort of developed over the years maybe if you can take us through that journey from you know i'm I'm sure it's a you know quite a wide and extensive journey but you know how how it's sort of roughly gone high level from when you first started getting into more of this movement based approach to yeah. where you are now yeah so i wouldn't necessarily say it's quite extensive in all honesty i mean i think that any practitioner that ultimately starts bringing themselves towards this idea of movement and starts to explore this idea in relation to their physical practice whatever their history of physical practice is um it's always going to be informed in a way of what they've done before um, and that can be, you know, via negativa as well. So for example, if someone has been, let's say, weightlifting a lot in their history, and then at some point it kind of hit a wall and it was like, I can't for maybe it's injury reasons, or maybe it's just, they just have no motivation in that anymore. Um, they might completely change their practice in relation to, you know, this idea of a movement perspective. Um, but for myself, in all honesty, it started off as more of an extension um, more of a, a, a widening, um, yeah, to sound a bit pretentious about it, you know, this idea of the overspilling, it kind of like spilled out into it very, you know, with very welcome um, to have a new opportunity and a new space to explore. Um, so originally I came myself from a type of classical young teenage dudes bodybuilding background, man. I mean, that's... Uh, mm -hmm. I've mentioned this in other places and I even kind of wrote it down just to, I found that a lot of other people were coming with similar stories and they were saying, you know, I feel like it was the same thing for me. So I thought it would be nice because I'm also quite um, uh, very a fan of writing and expressing kind of ideas, whether that's through storytelling, whether that's through just reflection. Um, you know, I presented something on, on the website as well that also kind of details these things for people who are actually interested in reading through that <laughs> but um yeah it basically starts off like this um a young guy finding himself in um australia after having practice you know bodybuilding practice over a numerous period of years like five or ten years uh, and then finding at some point that um there were things that other people were doing that looked pretty cool and interesting and they seemed to involve the subjects that I was, you know, in as well, for example, like strength. And then I would try these simple types of body weight movements. And then I would it just, yeah, it was a <laughs> failure, absolute failure to the point of uh, personal shock and towards horror. And so I use this idea of, you know, my inner child 
uh, my inner child essentially cried. <laughs> and I don't mean this in the sense of just like, oh, I feel so terrible, you know, I'm just crying like a child. I mean, in the sense of, I believe that <clears throat> many children, uh, when they're younger, uh, have this, it's not necessarily a feeling of invincibility because you m are not so familiar with the idea of vulnerability. You just feel, you know, we used to just jump off things and do backflips off stuff. I used to pile drive my brother into metal plates. We used to hit each other with chairs and things like this. You feel indestructible. And then I went to jump on my hands to do what some of these other people were doing. And, mm. and the wrists crumbled, the shoulders crumbled. I had pain and it was not a nice feeling. And there's two directions you can go with that. You can retreat back into your practice and dedicate yourself to that specific practice, uh, which would have been perfectly fine as well. Um, to a certain point in the way that I was going, or you can start to embrace this idea of, okay, what's in that box? What's in that box that I'm missing? Mm -hmm. What are the pieces that I don't have? And in the beginning, you know, you start to think, oh yeah. So we're talking about when I first then started transitioning into more of a, a calisthenics and body weight training type of perspective, because mm -hmm. it was the easiest thing for me. I was involved with strength and oh, strength, <laughs> calisthenics. These guys are big as well. Yeah, I can, I can get ripped and also, you know, <laughs> you know, do all these cool movements as well. I just have to figure out what to do on leg day. Um, and in any case, I, uh, yeah, I, I started pursuing this uh, particular avenue. Uh, from then, spending two or three years with calisthenics, um, I was also at that point living in Prague, and then I found that there was a you know calisthenics culture there. So um, it was the first time, I'm sure in Australia, they've been there for a very long time, but in England, uh, where I live, and specifically in the Southwest, uh, mm -hmm. more of a kind of a countryside type place, you're going to be really hard pressed to find things like bars or things like that outside. Like even when I was living in Korea, like every school has mm -hmm. monkey bars and bars for the children and stuff to play on. That culture just wasn't there in the Southwest of England. Um, so moving to uh, Czech Republic, um, I was able to you know, set my, the, have a small kind of culture of people. You visit the calisthenics park and you mm -hmm. people you hang out with and you do these types of movements. Uh, after two or three years of this, um, the same feeling returned that there was more. I was still just practicing specific movements <clears throat> and that was the entirety of my practice. Mm -hmm. The practice was, it, it was satiating my thirst to practice. I was practicing more, mm -hmm. uh, but it was just practicing more because I was not very good at these movements. I'd never really done them before, but they were completely isolated contexts. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an understanding or an, you know, an expanded vision of actually moving which for, I, I have my own ideas of what this actually means in regards to movements at this point in time. But for years, years, I had to constantly repeat this question. And what's, what is difference? What does it actually mean? Like hmm. to move? And um, again, not in a pretentious way, but I just like this phrase for as a, as a friend who uh, we used to have these kind of type of university philosophical, pseudo philosophical con conversations and things over cigarettes and, you know, whiskeys. <laughs> But um, he, would, he would call it the higher math. It was like, okay, it's like a logic here. And then it's like, oh, oh, you're talking about like that idea. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's a bit different. It's like another layer. And it's always important to remember that another layer or another perspective um, 
it's it's not doesn't mean better this is better mm -hmm. than that it's mm -hmm. completely it's not even there it's turning the head taking a step to the side and going oh and it's very nice it's because um over the past couple of years i've been um, not intensively but taking systemic classes and my um my teacher one of the perspectives is always it's like where is the opportunity when you run out of opportunities from this landscape here? Change your perspective, take one step from the side. And now they have all these different types of opportunities. Mm. So taking this step to the side, uh, and then I started seeing things, for example, of course, huge influence from um, Ida Portal, I think for many people in what I would call the modern movement culture. And mm -hmm. um, he's of course been a, a huge figure and a huge positive influence on, um, on many. And um, working with some of these movements he presented, of course, through his blogs, through the, the various other avenues that he presented his ideas and information from getting stuck over into those things. That was, you know, an opening, a widening of my perspective, but it was still restricted to the physical realm of movements. And this continued for many years. Mm -hmm. um, it still does in, in, in many cases, but I like to think that when I am kind of pursuing specific movements, I do so consciously now mm -hmm. uh, and I allocate that time and say, no, I want to perhaps learn this movement or I want to involve myself in this discipline more, or I want to work on this particular uh, project. Whereas previously it was kind of like, you know, people say, well, what is it that you do? And then I always find that if your answer is, yeah, I do kind of a bit of this and I do a bit of that. Um, there is more juice to be pulled out and more development that can come with the perspective. Mm. Um, but I think this is always going to be the case. Um, so for me, that's essentially how I came from practicing with bodybuilding through a transition into calisthenics, through calisthenics, actually just bringing a bit more awareness of proprioception of my body in space, but nothing like a dancer, probably nothing like a martial artist. Um, these you know, these huge movement aspects are really still lacking in my personal practice, in all mm. honesty. Um, but it did then start me rather than just, you know, essentially object manipulation, but weighted object manipulation, <laughs> a practice of this to then a practice of moving the body in space to an extent. Um, and, uh, you know, moving on from that, that's essentially, you know, that's why I say you know, my practice isn't necessarily wide and far reaching. I'm kind of still working on this idea of just moving the body through space. And this is definitely keeping me um, occupied at the moment. Awesome. And say someone walked past you in the park, right. And you were doing, you're doing something, you know, of, of your practice and they were like, Hey, that looks interesting. What are you doing? What's the answer at the moment? I'm actually now like, um, you know, there were times where I tried to explain the idea of what it is. But now when people ask that, I'm very specific on the subject of what I'm doing at that time. Mm. Because this is the answer to the question, right? No one asked me, what is your philosophy on movement <laughs> practice? They asked me, you know, what are you doing right now? So very often it can come out in the case of working on some spinal work because this still looks very weird to many people. I'm convinced it will become more normal in the future. <laughs> but um I will just say, yeah, I'm working on a practice of the spine. I'm perhaps, you know, I'm mixing up the idea of a down up wave with a, a something else, or I'm improvising. I'm taking impulse from the floor. I'm leading with my shoulder and I'm just working this. And normally the next question, if they continue to venture further, um, bravely, then they might say, okay, you know, what is, 
what's the use of this? And then I will expand from that point. Um, mm. I try not to take the standpoint of starting to present the whole ideas and philosophy of something that in all honesty is like, is never going to be fixed. Mm. What's the point of me laying down my philosophy or ideas or perspectives for you um, when you're just a passerby and yeah. the, you know, if, if it's the case that we're practicing together and then they want me to show some things, I will again try to be minimal in what I share. And then people might then start to dig a little bit deeper and ask, um, which does happen more so at social gatherings actually than training in the park. People might venture deeper and get interested. And then if I think, okay, this person is you know, quite genuinely, genuinely interested, um, I'll share perhaps what might be some of the more um, for want of the word abstract, I mean more of this parts are actually more disassociated to physical practice as well. Mm. Because I've said this many times and I still stand by it. I constantly, you know, check back on my my own kind of like mini dogmas. And this is one I always check back on. And I'm like, you know, yeah, this one stands firm, which is that, you know, if movement practice, this idea for me, if movement practice is synonymous with physical practice, like I'm out. It's not enough. Mm. I just don't, I don't want my, this idea of a movement practice for me just to be about whether it's um, physical practice to develop, you know, attributes, strength and ability and balance and things like this, or whether that physical practice extends into like dance practice, martial arts practice, or things like this. I don't want that to be the culmination of my movement practice. It's Mm. not enough. There's too many other things in life that are very, very important that equally deserve that limited time to spend that time on for example learning German yeah I'm in a Swiss German I'm in a German speaking place this is very important for Mm. my my social interaction Um, it is neglected you know I'm taking only like 10 minutes per morning 15 (laughs) minutes per morning but for example if I use this space instead to do some morning practice which you know last the whole of the last year I was doing extensively um the, 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 the scales of the balance and what I see as my general movement practice mm-hmm. start to become unfavorable in certain places. Um, but again, the priorities do change over time. Um, but yeah, so for me, my physical practice and all the other things around it is, is what's in balance. It's not just the physical aspect. It's whatever I choose to incorporate into that practice at the same time. And this is very often something Mm. I try to share with um, the people who work more closely with me through things like online support. Um, I try to share this perspective of, you know, the greater movement practice. So when it inevitably comes to things such as, you know, I'm I'm taking, uh, for example, the people I work with in uh, Australia, I'm I'm taking a week to go out into the bush, like, uh, you know, and they're worrying about their programming. I'm like, man, forget it be outside in the bush. This is what Mm. you need right now. If you really want to just do some of the prehab stuff and patterning stuff from your, from your practice, but like don't hold and tie yourself to it because I hope that your movement practice, like I see mine is something bigger than just what's written on this piece of paper. Mm. Yeah. How, how can you like uncouple, I guess the mind and expand it to this more, 
yeah, th- this, this wider perspective, like I like how you're describing it because yeah, there's always this concept of transferability, right? And you know, mm-hmm. how I'm sort of seeing this is when a practice becomes more than that, like, that specific area of practice, right? And it's probably not just confined to movement practice, right? But maybe if you're a potter and, you know, you always say like the wise potter and he can speak all sorts of life lessons, right? He might be seeing it in this sort of same way. So do you think that this is a, a, a quality that naturally sort of came to you or that you cultivated or it was potentially like a guidance from a teacher that got you to then ask yourself these questions to be like, okay, I'm more than just developing my body? I think any naturally inquisitive mind, I wouldn't say, you know, completely inclined towards this way or type of thinking. I think anyone who continues to ask questions of themselves will ultimately expand their perspective on whatever it is that they're dealing with. Mm. Um, It's not a necessity. In some cases, it's a neurosis. You know, in some cases, it can turn completely back on you and it can come to the extent of even anxiety to continually question yourself to end up to the point of double guessing. This is the practice, in my opinion. This is also hugely the practice. Um, I see this uh, again in some of the people I work with. In some cases, they will you know, message me um, almost in, in a distraught sense because the way that they're practicing is not in harmony with actually how they lead the rest of their life. Mm. And it makes them question things. And there can be the point where that questioning just, just like, Oh fuck, what have I done? Like, you know, this is like, no, no, no. It's like your practice is now to try and console this piece by piece. Um, how, you know, the rest of your life, whether that's kind of the, um, the setup of your household, for example, and, and, and what furniture and things you have to, how you connect with, you know, other people in your social circles and for family circles. That's, of course, this is a personal thing, but it can, you know, stretch to that extent. Um, and I think the transferability, as you mentioned, is definitely something um, that is, it's, it's a nice word to use because this also works on the physiological level too. Mm. So when I am, for example, developing a physical practice for something, for someone, um, for example, there's a type of programming I, I, I refer to as movement practice, but I don't mean it's like your movement practice as a whole. The idea is that this programming has been developed with um, my perspective um, on the extent of my knowledge um, of what will give you most transferability if you're then looking at other types of practices, if you want to delve Mm. into martial arts, if you then want to move into, if you have a sporting practice, if you want to dance, I hope that this type of practice will give them that transferability. But most definitely the characteristics and the qualities must also be transferable as well as the attributes, the attributes Mm -hmm. being the strength, mobility, blah, blah, blah. they are equally as important. And you can see, for example, when someone sends me videos or something like this, I can see when the, the, the the qualities are absent. Mm. Um, The, the mindfulness in the movement is absent. Uh, When mindfulness and movement is absent in your physical practice, it's most certainly going to be absent in your daily life and in your daily life, quote unquote, daily life. Um, For me, this is also, there's so much you can do in that quote unquote daily life with mindfulness that will contribute to yourself as a, a, as a whole being, you know, 
Um, so I think, you know, this idea of transferability is something that in all honesty, the profundity of it kind of came around with the classic Arnold Schwarzenegger and his practice. And then what he ultimately called moving forward, the blueprint, mm. he called it the blueprint. It's like an interesting video on YouTube. You can see it called the blueprint with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And um, it was essentially the, the way that he practiced and also his psychology through his bodybuilding practice and competition was essentially the blueprint of what everything else he did in his future life, through his mm. acting career, through his political career, um, in his social circles, in his business ventures. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, a, a movement practice or, or honesty, I don't think will necessarily give you many transferable attributes to being a fantastic businessman. <laughs> it's like so yeah, you know, bodybuilding might be more conducive to this with the competition and kind of the stringent um, type of training and practice and the step-by-step -step incremental you know the very you know, focus on this whereas a movement practice for me because it, it I believe it should she say should but I will just present that as my perspective at the moment it should endeavor to be kind of more lateral um, as a, there will be projects, which of course must be linear mm. if you want to make progress in them and to develop further knowledge and compounding knowledge, um, and experience on that. But of course, if it's lateral, um, then the characteristics and the, the, the qualities then become more general, you know, things mm. like patience. I mean, how can you overdevelop patience? This mm. is always something that we can practice in all aspects of our life and the, um, context of a physical practice based on the idea that you're working quite laterally you're always going to be encountering something new um, and with many different projects you're always not necessarily going to move as quickly as someone who is dedicated to one area of practice so of course the patience must be huge mm. you have to develop this on a day-to-day -day basis um, the ambition the ambition is something which comes in hand in hand with the idea of being able to let go um, if you know, you, you want this one thing so bad, whether it's one arm handstand or one arm pull up or whatever the, the, the fashionable strength stuff is at the moment, mm. um, at some point, if you want to maintain also an explorative lateral practice, you mm. have to kind of soften that focus on it. And that can be very, very difficult for someone, especially if they come historically from a competitive background, um, what, <laughs> Well, someone who's been working with me quite recently, a younger guy, you know, messaged me. And I, I for all the people who are in the program, I have a series called Perspectives. I, I might open it publicly one day, but the Perspectives essentially just shares my perspectives on what we might call a movement practice, you know, which involves these ideas of, you know, patience, the ambition, uh, frustration management, all these in, like, valuable qualities that you can develop and develop through the practice. Hmm. Um, you know, one of them is this kind of idea of focus in the moment and, you know, soften your focus on what's further away until it's, you know, vitally important for you to look at it. And he messaged me and he said, you know, I know it's, you know, really important. We try to focus on the moment and things like this, but I think I tend to focus on the moment better when I can see something like more specifically in the future and how long it will take. Mm. And it's like, I, I, I ended up consequently sharing him. Okay. Quite practically how long this, this, hypothetical scenario that he presented to me was which was quite a funny one and um i presented it and it, the answer for mine was quite clearly 10 years mm -hmm. 
10 years. Had to do um, fund. Yeah, it was quite blank after that, but in the t it was kind of acceptance, but it was always, normally it's always the same. Yeah, I thought that would be the case. So it's the things that are already known, but, and, and this is quite a, a part of how I see my function when I work with people is to, you know, the classic, I don't call myself a facilitator, but to help <clears throat> facilitate a certain transition that does generally happen to most people when they start exploring more lateral physical practice. Mm. Um, it completely affects your psychology, of course. Mm. It completely affects you. I mean, we know this, even if we want to look on a, you know, a physiological level in terms of the case of neuroplasticity in relation to physical movement. It's been mm -hmm. done. It's been said. It's, it's, it's clear. So people do have these kind of things that start popping in the head um, and they you know, do struggle just as I most definitely struggle and still continue to struggle to this day with um, this, 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 this growing perspective of what it actually means then if you are um, deambitioning, if you are opening yourself more widely and exploring different places, if you are trying to become more adaptable in your practice, if you are embracing change, what does that mean then for the rest of my life? And these are hugely important qualities. For me, one of the most fundamental perspectives of movement uh, again, just my own perspective is that movement is the underlying condition of everything. Punked. That's it. It's the underlying condition of everything. Mm. Like everything is involved or in relation to movement. Um, we can even, you can reflect and incorporate and take influence from philosophies you know, like Tao. Um, for example, with Tao, change. What is the underlying context of change? change is movement from one condition to another condition. The underlying condition is movement. Mm -hmm. So in the idea, if we cannot let go, if we do not, it cannot uh, develop these qualities to deambition and blah, 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 and all the rest of it and be adaptable, you are effectively blocking change. You're blocking movement. And normally on whatever, you know, level it comes on spiritual, emotional, physical, when you block movement, normally, bad things start to happen either further down the line or, you know, even in that point in time. Mm. Um, so for me, I try to, as well as construct, you know, just on paper, I always tell people this, look, what you've got, you've got digital writing in a PDF paper. That's it. Nothing else. Mm -hmm. You have to make something of that. Now I will support you along the way. The changes that come and help you with, I will point in directions and hope to cultivate a certain perspective for you without trying to be overbearing on it. But I will also put my perspective forward because you've joined on board now. Mm. So, um, yeah, this is something that for me is hugely important to bring that perspective forward with the physical practice. And then also when people do have the kind of qualms along the way, you know, how long does it take? Um, you know, there were times when I would have just said things like, it takes as long as it needs and it needs as long as it takes. Punked. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the kind of like overwrite the easy copy and paste and like, oh yeah, it takes as long as it needs as long as, but I mean, to be human about it, you're dealing with someone who has come to you for a specific reason, uh, on the base ground of it is they're asking for help mm -hmm. and I am offering help in this particular area. So, I try to be helpful 
some cases I might just be like, you no, know, if it's really something like, come on, we said that, I just, I might just copy and paste something I said yeah. before just to make the point of, hey, look, we've been through this. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's especially if it's a younger person, I will, you know, I'll be practical, but I'll be realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to do, you know, a, a dragon squat until your shoulder touches the floor and come back up and do a sissy squat with no knees touching the floor to your heels, touch your ass and come back up. And you can't even sit in a resting squat at the moment. You can't even go without body weight, hips below parallel. It's 10 years, man. <laughs> like, it's, it's 10 years like unless you only want to do those things and those movements i, I said this is some video i put on on youtube um these these movements they're not useful they're not even movements i would prescribe for anyone for training it was just a demonstration it's just a a piece a showpiece mm. of through the physical practice that i've personally been doing this is what it has allowed me to do and these two couple movements that represented certain aspects of lower body complexity. It's really, really minimal. Um, and he used this as an example. And so I said, yeah, like, I mean, so for me, I started, I just ver- first ever visited the pistol squat in like 2000 and, and the video. This is why I remember dates because I have all of my physical practice mm-hmm. recorded, like 2012. And then I did that movement and filmed it in 2019. That's seven years. Um, I started, you, I, I came into contact with the sissy squat. I started, pra- I came back in contact with the sissy squat from um, Dave Draper, actually, the old bodybuilder. <laughs> but much later when I started practicing it in 2016, and then by the time, uh, or 20, no, 2015, by the time again, I, I filmed that movement, it was four years later. So it was realistic to say 10 years mm-hmm. um, to this guy. And um, yeah, and, and I tried to do it without like a, you know, 10 years to get, to the point to possibly do that it was like no like um the idea i'm trying to say is are you in your practice for the long run you don't have to answer this question now but if this really is a desire of yours to ultimately have the physiological capability to perform those types of movements it's your journey it will be an ongoing journey Um, and by that time when you're able to do that you won't have these questions anymore a lot to unpack there, which I... Which yeah, I really sorry, love. I told you already that I just <laughs> get me rolling and going to... Maybe one to start on is still continuing on from this transferability and you've uh, talked about lateral explore, exploration and you know preparing the body to be able to enter into various sort of disciplines and, and a wider approach. I see on your website as well that you have like a program which is named like elements. So that sort of gets me thinking about like this almost like foundational approach maybe to preparing the body. If that is the case, like what is foundational? What, how do you, how do you program like the elements of movement? Yeah. So uh, an idea is a foundational, it's not foundational. Um, but I mean, if it's necessary, bring that back up again, because there's stuff to say on this idea of foundational that I, mm. I, I might be able to share some of my ideas of what I think, you know, if it's possible, would be foundational for movement practice. So you can come back to that. What the elements actually means, um, it could have quite have easily been called aspects, but I felt this is kind of, it's like, um, I have to put something on a website. And I, I, I just connected with a guy who was from Switzerland and he was like an, an online marketer, but also interested in movement. <laughs> I was helping him with some shoulder stuff. Just no, I mean, when people just message me about odd mm. things like this, or is there something I, I, I send free videos and even some small programming. Mm. 
Um, and then he was like, okay, bro, like you've helped me so much. I'm going to help you sort out your website and your online marketing and things. I was like, okay. And I sat down with him and I was like, nah, actually, yeah, this guy kind of like, of course, it's his practice. He knows some stuff and is as useful. You know, now looking at my old website now, I'm like, yeah, shit, this is like, doesn't really represent what I do at all in any way. But so I had to have something that was a bit more, you know, connecting with people rather than like movement aspects. But elements, this is why I also put this very useful, excuse me, jigsaw emoji. emoji. Um, so the elements is like pieces of a jigsaw. There's no complete jigsaw. There's no complete picture. You just add the bits and put it wherever you want. But the elements is the idea that each, I had this perspective that, so I can only take so many people in online coaching. Um, first of all, to be able to deliver a, a one-to-one experience in the way that I want to work with someone one-to-one. Um, but then also the workload. Yeah, I, I'm not the kind of guy that likes to fill up his day with, with work all the time. I like to practice as much as I can. And there's many mm. other things that might distract me from practice without then increasing my workload. Um, so then there were other people that also wanted to work with me. So it made sense that, okay, like if everything I do with people on the online support platform is completely individualized for that person and their program develops with them as they develop, if I consider myself someone who has valuable things to share with people of all levels of practice, no matter what their background, I should be able to produce a basic program that will help people move towards what this idea that I have of which is, you know, developing your general movement potential of, you know, how it is in my mind. Um, so for example, the time of Corona and the pandemic um, was a perfect launch pad for that. Um, in terms of people being at home, I now had a context that was applicable to many people. Mm -hmm. There's many people who have to stay at home. I had also just come from Barcelona. So I started getting more of um, a, you know, a a connection and following from people based in Spain. And they had really, really bad lockdown. They were in, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in Barcelona, they were inside for six weeks, children not able to go outside of the house. Um, and people were already asking for things you know, in the initial instance. And I thought, okay, this would be a perfect situation to release the first of the programs of what I would call elements. So this element, the first one was the elements of which is just, you know, your daily practice. So daily practice is, it's kind of like expanded movement snacks in the way that it's a, a practice that you can do every single day and you're not going to kill yourself. If you wanted to do it every day for 40 minutes, you could. But likewise, it's perfectly possible to to do two or three times a week and adjust the program for just 20 minutes. This is what I want to present, something accessible for everyone to open the perspective of the physical practice through movement culture, but for everyone. Um, I mean, maybe you found yourself, but I know certain other people have, is for all the benefits that movement culture can bring on a physiological level, and of course, then influencing everything else, the entire soma, et cetera, et cetera, um, it's not very accessible. Mm. It's not accessible. Like, and in some cases, it's even made not to be accessible um, for people who you know work more from this perspective. Again, that's like completely. You know, you, this is your perspective. There's no, this is CrossFit, and this is how you do it, and then you just pay the certain amount per month, and you can put movement culture on there. It's more for me the idea that everyone is contributing to an idea. Whether some people like it or not, it's, a, it's a, always going to be a collaborative affair now. 
it's become open source. Like this mm. is why I also made this thing on YouTube called open resources to support this idea of, you know, open source. Um, so this is where the first elements came from. I started with that. Um, the idea was there years, about at least a year before when I actually had the first, uh, before I had the first kind of meeting with, with, with my friend who helped me with website stuff and all that, which became a part of my practice of oh God. <laughs> yeah. I worked that one out after a bit. But um, site crashed a few times and broke completely. Yeah, so the, the elements I then continued to build from there. And um, the one that I've been working on, which was supposed to be kind of more the first one I was working on for years, was this elements for breathing and diaphragm. Mm. I, I kind of bit off more than I could chew with that one because <laughs> sometimes I'm susceptible to my own tendency, as you may hear, I kind of like to speak and given the opportunity to do so. And um, it's the same with writing. Um, it was always when I had a supervisor with relation to my writing, it was always like, okay, stop writing and what you have, make something with it. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the elements was then another aspect, breathing and diaphragm, which is an aspect of movement. Again, I use this term elements instead. Uh, and then, for example, the, the, the idea now is like a little bit more general. So, for example, I um, created... Um, uh, programming for sedentary workers um, because of the fact that at this point in time I was up to 10 hours straight on the laptop working with with only just wiggling around and then thank god I had my hour or two practice in the morning because I couldn't you know practice do a full practice that day but I could get an hour or two in in the morning and then like 10 hours straight on the laptop and I was feeling it but I was just involved in a different practice at that time. I was doing a lot of work with other people and things and on the laptop. And it was like, man, and I'd worked in offices and things before for years. I was like a physical practice for people who are sedentary. I think Katie Bowman spoke about this recently or in some podcast I picked up. um, And she was essentially saying that her area of interest was going into the biomechanics of sedentary people because most people are sedentary. This is more reflective of the population today. So it would make more sense to target her studies towards and investigations towards the effects of, not just the effects, but I mean, what does the sedentary physiology look like? Mm -hmm. So for me, I thought, well, yeah, I mean, can I use this idea, the context, the movement context of being sedentary to then create a type of programming that would be uh, beneficial for regaining and developing ranges and working on some fundamental things such as some basic strength and mechanics pushing pulling mechanics and stuff like this um and then it kind of built from there so the elements is the idea of these kind of movement aspects but it it now is expanding um i don't have a list of things i'm going to do i've got one other program Mm -hmm. in mind that i do want to produce and then we'll see how it moves forward from there so what does that actually look like you mentioned you know there's some pulling pushing like what in the elements the practical tools maybe if you could sort of share like what what would people expect you know for this sedentary worker which i agree with you like for a lot of people it's like vastly different to maybe like you know for us practitioners or even when you're starting in on your practitioner journey you're already like way past this sedentary level right so yeah what what do you try to share for these type of people well i mean first of all um as I mentioned previously, when I was working with object manipulation with weight training and things like this, and then moving into just moving my body through space, Mm. um, essentially body weight work 
I learned so much from this about the mechanics of how I can move my body, how I can support my body, how I can manipulate it through space. Um, certain mechanics of, you know, different ways I can pull or, or push and things like this. The, a lot of the programming therefore that I provide is, is body weight related. Um, this is also due to accessibility. So in the programming, you know, the minimal thing you need is like a pull up bar and a, you know, tennis balls. And this is still limited in itself. Um, so for example, there can be cases that if you're working on vertical pulling development, so essentially the context of the pull up or the chin up or whichever kind of variation they're working with, that you may just be working with scapular work for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It would be ranged if there was something like a lower, you know, mid-ranged bar or gymnastics rings that you can work with horizontal pulling from, uh, we kind of filling gaps with this with certain mm -hmm. other movements. But again, I didn't want to make, you know, as useful as the gymnastics rings are as an upper body development tool. Um, in many cases, someone who is sedentary is not always right in the position to go and buy a set of gymnastics rings and start hanging them up in their house. Mm. And I know it's a small ask to ask someone, Hey, can you get gymnastics rings? But I wanted to keep the programming as minimal as possible in terms of equipment. Yeah. So we work with, um, uh, yeah, vertical pulling progressions, horizontal pushing progressions. Um, but we do also incorporate locomotion, um, locomotion in terms of just moving the body through space. Again, this helps contribute to developing the proprioception of the body, the awareness of the body. How long are my limbs? What structure do I need to make this particular form to try and adhere to this model of a movement that's in this resource? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we also you then use these tools for mobility development as well as you know, conditioning as well. So I've mentioned this elsewhere, but locomotion as a tool um, or as a movement aspect, mm -hmm. it changes with your um, physiological um, abilities. As your physiological potential changes, it becomes something different. So for example, a certain locomotion movement for someone in the initial instance of, instances of practice, um, it could really be a strength tool and a conditioning mm -hmm. tool because mm -hmm. the mechanics are not as efficient, the pattern is not embodied, and so it, it takes a lot more out of the practitioner. Um, that's at that point in time then their mechanics and also their, their patterning with these particular movements um, develops. Um, but perhaps, of course, it takes of oftentimes longer, much longer for the mobility aspects to develop. So if we're working with low gait locomotion movements um, focused around the lower body, then um, they would still be getting this type of mobility side effect thing coming with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then taking them to the further stage, ultimately after some time of practice where we start looking towards efficiency, actually using that pattern to move efficiently through space. This is a very kind of end type of you know, process with that, using mm -hmm. it to move efficiently through space because there's a lot of other things that are involved in terms of, um, <clears throat> it's, it's like a kind of a, an expansion beyond the idea of what the programming is actually designed for. Mm. Um, I make no pretenses about producing programming and saying you're gonna be moving like a, like a gem floating through space. And, you know, <laughs> butterfly no this is a physical practice program um, so whilst there are wider applications for some of the locomotion patterns that i present um, i do put them there just as okay you're using this as a conditioning tool or it's being used mm -hmm. as a strength development or mobility development tool um, and also with all pretty much all the programming outside of the breathing and diaphragm 
and the physical practice programs will also have um, like movement tasks or movement projects which are very simple isolated tasks in the initial instance mostly focused around um, um, sorry small frame mobility around fine motor control also mm -hmm. gross motor control but with a, more of a sensitivity um, and again not only is this you know an important aspect I think um, this kind of like fine motor control idea um, it's also then widening the perspective of what is physical practice and it then gives people a space to exercise these qualities mm -hmm. and characteristics such as you know patience the ambition um, and things like this through the context of those movement projects um, yeah that would be the, 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 the general perspective of what those, the program specifically sedentary workers would look like. Mm. And it gets me wondering as well, how, you know, you're describing on the other side, you've got this like online support, right? Which is more individualized. Um, you know, when people come to you for, for that, is it, is it like, okay, I want to develop a movement practice or is it more like I want to get, you know, that CC squat? How, what, how does it normally, how does the conversation normally go? And then how does that normally develop into then, yeah, you giving your online support? There are, I just think there's obviously more than like two caps, but there are, there are, there are often two um, perspectives I get approached with. The first one is normally like, look, I want to do everything, but I don't know how to do it. Hmm. It's like, okay, we need to kind of rein those pieces in and just construct you with a context of physical practice in which we can attend and look at different movement aspects. You can get a bit of experience in each one and through that develop your physiological potential with that as you progress. And then these people would very often, if they just want to have a, a brief overview of everything, say overview, they, they want me to present my idea of what this generalist practice is, then it would be something like a full practice or the movement practice that we work on. So um, what would, what would that sort of look like, you know, because that's so broad, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, give me everything, but you know, it's like, yeah, can't, can't, can't do everything. <laughs> yeah, no, you cannot. So, I mean, as I mentioned with the sedentary workers, um, for the process of accessibility and also familiarity, mm -hmm. um, with the sedentary workers, for example, like I mentioned with locomotion, I will for example, have a lower body section, which is, and then the locomotion will be geared towards low grade and lower body complexity, which mm -hmm. is an idea where it's kind of pondered over. And um, I still use this perspective of, we have a core practice in there, which is upper body strength and mobility and lower body complexity. That would be the core of like the online support programming if you were taking um, a, uh, a, like a complete practice as opposed to people just taking individual modules like only handstand only floor communication but for example the upper and upper and lower body depending on the person um it could be mostly you know, locomotion oriented and mm -hmm. we, we we develop upper body and lower body complexity through the the aspect and the subject of locomotion just as much as we can do through the subject of floor contact um, and floor work it depends on the complete on the practitioner mm -hmm. and their background um, sometimes we will look at um, developing the person to be able to perform uh, really, really basic fundamental lifts, like for example, a back squat or a front squat. Perhaps the person has never done a deadlift in their life. I have a friend who is um, 
I was said to him, I was, I was uh, the, doing some climbing. I was like, oh yeah, after doing some climbing, I'd just start doing a few sets, revisiting the bench press. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I've never done a bench press before. Like, wow, man. It's not like a necessarily a fundamental tool for everyone, but mm. as a context to experience, mm. like, check it out. You need to visit bench press. It's fine. It's good, nice context. So mm. in some cases, I will, you know, put certain movements in there or develop people to be able to perform those movements safely with an eye of that being their exploration. Mm. It's not you must do deadlift or bench press or, or, you know, front squat in order to keep your physical capacities in check. It's like, no, if you've not explored it, it will be a valuable place to explore mm. um, for all the ups and downs it will bring for you during the learning process. Um, I, like, I like that because sometimes, you know, especially if you go on Instagram a lot or go on YouTube, you start seeing like a lot of the commonalities of what's being recommended, right? Like, especially this phrase, you know, bang for buck, do this one because it covers heaps of areas. And then you almost feel like then there are certain tools that start getting elevated above all others and prioritized as well to a lot of different people. But I like, how you're saying, you know, say with the bench press, which might be almost getting demonized by the, you know, that sort of barbell work by the movement crowd is, is worthy of also being explored just for that experience of exploration. Definitely. And this again is, you know, my perspective. I think there's always something that is very easy to forget or perhaps not to recognize Mm. is that the history of physical practice, and by which I'm referring now more to performance development, um, which I would kind of then rephrase into developing your physical movement potential as an expansion of that, from my point of view, where I like to go. Um, So looking at this kind of training, perhaps environment, we can call it, um, it has always been rooted in the perspective of progress. Mm. And now many people might think, well, of course, I mean, that's what training is. Is it? Does it have to be? Because if I'm practicing, I'm going to improve anyway. Mm. As long as I'm not doing something that's completely just, you know, this is a complete waste of time. If I'm, if I'm doing a, a movement in a particular way over a long period of time and investing in it, and it's just really an inferior movement in terms of what I am trying to do with it. So let's say, for example, I want to increase my overall strength capacity and I choose a barbell curl instead of a deadlift then we can say in that context, Mm -hmm. there is a better tool to be used. However, if as part of that entirety of strength exploration, I then incorporate these other elements, say, of course they have a space because it's part of your exploration of that, that, um, that movement subject. So in some cases, um, the programming that I provide uh, it can be seen as what people might say it's like quite varied and quite mixed by mixed. I don't mean like just mixed up. I mean, like there's a lot of different aspects in there. Um, but it's always programmed with a very practical, you know, background of programming understanding to the extent that my, my programming knowledge goes. Um, and it's never, you know, just random. It's not that, Oh, let's go and explore this today. It's like, no, no, no. It's all designed to contribute to one idea, but, I try not to in myself and also what I share with people always have the perspective that everything needs to contribute towards progress. 
Mm. Um, this has been talked about in other, you know, philosophies and other intellectual circles about, you know, what this ultimately leads to and the benefits and drawbacks of always having even the idea of, you know, that we just moving forward, 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 one on top of the other. This also ties in with the idea of the lateral perspective and being in the lateral progression that goes with that. And, you know, one very simple um, analogy I like to use just because, you know, I, I used to love uh, these type of role play video games where you get your XP and things like this. Like, uh, I love the Mass Effect, <laughs> Jedi Knights and stuff, the Bioware things. So you develop XP over time in your experience with the game. Mm-hmm. How you choose to spend that XP and the path you choose to go is up to you. Do you want to be the sniper? Do you want to be the, the, the power guy that shoots the rockets? Mm. Do you want to be the sleuth? Do you want to be the wizard? This is your practice. Um, and normally through online support is me, first of all, judging, does this person want to be a wizard? Or are they more trying? Because <laughs> very often they don't know themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So when people then go to something like the movement practice, this is then what I'm trying to cultivate along the way in conjunction with them, changing as they change through their practice and their life changes as well with everything that comes with it. Um, adapting, um, but kind of cultivating, you know, whatever it is that they're working on, whatever path that they're, they're following, changing if necessary, cutting, sidetracking where appropriate and not just kind of, nah, we need to go forward, you know, keep getting it, just keep repeating it. Because um, this, this pays a toll, not just physically, but also then psychologically as well. Mm. Um, I think that is also something that's very, very important. Um, so, yeah. With a movement practice, if someone comes to me and says, okay, I just kind of want to do everything, but you know, I would first of all start with this uh, basic format that I have, which is um, upper body strength and mobility, lower body complexity. Um, then one of their programming would be floor communication. And then floor communication um, is, for me, it includes or can include locomotion, bipedal locomotion, quadrupedal locomotion, floor contact movement. Um, even some things like types of um, Floreo work from the world of Capoeira, working with these um, types of movements that was um, you know, shared in more of a training uh, format by, for example, Ida Botal, and made it very accessible to people. Hmm. Um, and pieces that I learned from my own very brief explorations in these areas. Um, and then, of course, things like the movement projects that are available for them to explore too. Hmm. And, there's always you know a priority we work on the spine as well i encourage people to have their spinal work you know separate to what they're they're kind of learning at some point it would be incorporated into their programming but first of all we try to establish a basic vocabulary of different directions of waving of rolling ultimately to um types of expression as well um, but again this depends on the practitioner because for example if someone um i don't mean this in the bad way i say doesn't have the patience or hasn't had the time perhaps to look at more isolated movement projects, things that might seem stupid from the outside, like mm-hmm. you know, balancing a ball on your head, touching the back of the head to the floor, um, working with uh, you know, a tennis ball on the fur. If, 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 if the availability and the resources are not available in them to spend the time to complete these tasks, we will not then move forward to what might be called you know, the more juicier tasks mm-hmm. when we're working with things like. Um, tennis balls for timing or rhythm and coordinative tasks and arm patterns and then growing into further things. I mean, there's many, many resources I have that I have yet to share with anyone. 
as I mean, I've only been really running the online platform as, as a full-time thing for about a year. It was running a year before that as well, but mm -hmm. it's a side project with a couple a few people. And um, yeah, so there's still places to be explored by the practitioners who are in, in the program, which kind of excites me quite a lot. Um, but those are available to whether you are working with the, the, the whole movement practice or whether just the core practice, the upper and lower, and something just added on. With the lower body, you know, a lot of people would talk about like lower body strength or mobility, and you know, you've termed it lower body complexity. Uh, what do you define under this label of lower body complexity? Yeah, so it, it came from the perspective that the lower body can be complex and complex, not as it's, oh, it's really complicated. Complex is that it can do complex things. And mm -hmm. um, it was inspired by, um, again, something that Ida Bothal mentioned in a workshop some years ago. Um, the idea, he may have mentioned it in a video as well, that, you know, the, the upper body craves complexity, hence, you know, the, the, the greater range of motion of the shoulders, um, and hence the gymnastics bring being a tool, uh, a choice, a tool, and then the hips crave um, intensity. So it might be more accurate. I think he may have said, of course, paraphrasing, but um, the shoulders crave complexity, and the um, the hips or the um, they crave um, intensity. Um, and of course, there is also then room to apply that to say that the lower body can also be complex. So complex in terms of being able to perform patterns, just like you might perform patterns with the arms. And this is a hugely, I say unexplored, I've explored um, a lot of this idea of lower body complexity in relation to contact with the ground. So essentially kind of closed chain with some open chain work. Mm -hmm. But then of course we have this whole world of, you know, open chain leg movement that is explored very much in the world. So for example, like contemporary dance, you would see it. You know, ballerinas are there lifting the legs up and swinging them around the head. This is a different world, a specialized world. But this as well, you know, the, the, the movement of the legs in space. Martin Kilvadi, also, I think he wrote this one time on Facebook, just a, just a note. What if the legs could move like arms? <laughs> and, you know, it, and it, it's true. Like, what if, I mean, how, how many of us are practicing to try and move the legs like arms in space mm -hmm. as a point of, you know, exploration, investigation, and research? Um, so lower body complexity for me uh, was also quite a convenient, easy way to then transition um, many individuals who were coming towards the idea of a movement practice. And in many cases, most cases, the lower body has been relegated to you know, a powerhouse of strength. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's for. The wheels, right? With mm -hmm. bodybuilding, we talk about the wheels. Well, what can a wheel do? You can roll, you can change direction. Okay, but can it fold? Can it turn? inside out itself can it twist mm -hmm. it, it becomes very difficult if you've built your wheels just on the idea of being the, them being a steam engine mm -hmm. and i was very a high proponent of this idea because that is exactly where i came from i spoke previously about when one of the practitioners in the program was speaking about doing this how long would it take me to do a dragon pistol squat touchdown touchdown mm -hmm. shoulder to the floor and like look 2012 when i first visited the pistol squat i was doing pistol squats on two breeze blocks stacked on top of each other with wraps around my knees, not able to squat on one leg below 90 degrees. So I was very familiar with having a set of wheels or legs that did not have complexity. 
And when I started digging more, it started quite simply with unilateral leg strength and then digging more into mobility work and then effectively then looking at patterns that I could make working the way into locomotion to moving the body through space and thinking, wow, these are pretty complex things that I'm standing on here. Um, so hence for that reason, to open the perspective of many that perhaps had a more familiar background, uh, but, you know, less complexity with the lower body, to start looking at potential. And for that reason, it's like, it could be called the, the potential complexity of the lower body, but it just lower body complexity. Mm. Uh, yeah, I really like how you describe it and, you know, that message that you're sending out there because I do feel that, yeah, sometimes the legs are treated in that way, like very almost linearly and it's emphasized in that way. Uh, what, what's your take on this, this notion of uh, practicing efficient movement patterns versus practicing for inefficiency? How would you define those two terms yourself? Just, just, just as you're presenting the question, like to be inefficient or efficient. So. Um, maybe in the context of this discussion, you know, there's uh, sometimes there's always an emphasis in terms of like a technical way to perform something, you know, even like say handstand, right? The straight line, or there's like for, for a planche, people are, you know, saying like, the protraction in this certain way with the, you know, slight external rotation cue. And that's like the best way to develop the planche because for whatever reason, you know, it's like efficient for this shoulder complex to organize itself, to, to biomechanically, you know, support the whole body weight. But um, yeah. And maybe inefficient would be if somehow you can do it, but then it's like kind of retracted and doesn't look like what the Instagram is uh, looking like. Okay. Yeah. I would just, um, not to like dig your words around and stuff, mm -hmm. but just for me, because inefficient and efficiency means something different and a really nice idea, which is maybe something we can come back to the, mm -hmm. the perspective. I, I touched on it briefly about with the locomotion, how like in the, for me, just briefly with efficiency and inefficiency, um, inefficiency is when you are unable to perform a movement for one reason or another, for a lack of mobility, for a lack of strength in such a way that is performed with ease, mm -hmm. at which point it becomes efficient. And at which point normally it starts to stop serving you actually. So inefficiency is actually a tool that can be used. Mm. Um, you know, when you're struggling with this pattern, you're very inefficient and then you um, develop certain physical um, attributes and, and qualities um, that then bring you to efficiency, but then I'm efficient at it now. So it doesn't really give me so much. So this mm. is more kind of my idea of efficiency and inefficiency. Um, so I would think of this more in terms of like, I guess more like a, if tell me if I'm, I'm barking up the wrong tree, but like more of a technically correct way to do so something and then perhaps a suboptimal way of mm. essentially not doing the movement quote unquote correctly. Is this kind of the, the dichotomy that you're looking at? Yeah. Maybe let's, uh, let's uh, dig down this rabbit hole. Yeah. Cool. So um, yeah, I mean, again, it's always context dependent. So let's say, let's use the example of planche. You want to learn how to do a planche. Um, there is, there are certain progressions, certain forms that are most definitely more conducive to you after consistent application um, and with the accessory work around it to not, you know, really fuck yourself up like I did <laughs> in the past um, that will get you there at a certain point in time, some unforeseen time down the road when your practice is um, continued for a sufficient amount of time. So in this case, 
if that is the context you want to learn planche or for example you want to get you know a double body weight back squat or a, you know a, a triple body weight deadlift look and take advice and techniques from the people who have done or are doing it mm -hmm. this is obvious right we know this and whatever techniques everyone of course will have different techniques different things but you know your research into that and then your application on yourself to try and error for your form for the different nature of your your, your joints what is you know more weight bearing what is not everyone's going to be different in these regards tweak and adjust accordingly through your knowledge of looking into this specific movement um context um there will be a, a, a certain form that is not only more conducive to you getting that movement, but I would venture to say, um, if it is a you know a valuable movement, so not just like you know uh, you want to do some wrist flexion or something, the most technical way to do that, like if it's a plunge, or if it's a back squat. If you learn how to properly back squat, this is going to be transferable to many many other other types of strength movement contexts. Hmm. Um, if you learn how to have a certain form, an optimal form and to perform, to perform a, um, a planche. This is gonna be very transferable to something like a handstand pusher. Um, if, however, you do somehow manage to you know, get a full planche without something like scapular protraction and the intention of, I'm not saying you have to be you know, hollowed out to the point that you look like you, you know, you're in a reverse bridge, but the, the intention is there and that's what you're working. I mean, first of all, I'd be very, very surprised to, to see that happen. Like if, you, if someone was holding a planche and they were like, yeah, I'm pulling my shoulders back and holding it. I'd be like, wow, really? Is that what you're doing? Um, yeah, so short of that as well, um, it wouldn't be transferable. Mm. I mean, what now can I use that for? I've just learned something with a, a form that, you know, at some point biomechanics do come in that, well, they're, they're useful in the extent of looking at essentially just physics. Mm -hmm. Something like, um, it's something I often mention when people learning you know, fundamental support movements, such as like a kid of the hands and you're supporting yourself on the floor with a horizontal support, um, or even like progressions for handstand push-ups, like working with a pike push-up or something like this. Um, but the elbows are, you know, severely slanted towards the ground. It's like, this is not, you know, by the laws of physics, this is not a strong support. A strong support for a horizontal load is going to be a vertical support. Mm -hmm. This is why when you see, you know, scaffolding, it's not like, you know, all this way. They will have X's, but they would be supported by main pillars. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, in this way, these certain technicalities, the correct way to do something is most definitely, you know, going to be useful, at least having knowledge of and having a fundamental application of for a certain amount of time. There then does, you know, the context then changes. So for example, um, if you then want to transition in and out of certain movements, if you want to do a squat, maybe not a weighted squat, but then you want to go and sit into the ground afterwards and then get back up again, mm -hmm. the mechanics do not apply. You know, try and keep a completely, you know, neutral spine whilst going down into a squat, sitting into the ground, lying down, getting back up again. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But the context has changed. It's no longer the context of maximum weight back squat or whatever it is. It's now the context of get up and down from the floor. That's it. Um, so in these cases, if you were then to look with those same, you know, technical, um, those, those, those technical points, 
from a different context and then you look at another context and go oh there's a squat in there but it's not doing it you know clinically sound it's like well but are they actually doing what you think they're doing are they trying to do a back squat um, this came up there you know, a couple, actually only a couple times because thankfully the, the Jefferson curl, for example, the Jefferson curl with the, the gradual rounding of the spine under load is becoming kind of more common um, for people to see the, the, the benefits for us in the fitness industries and functional fitness as well. Mm. Um, but a couple of times I did have in the past, you know, trainers come up to me and go, oh, don't want to round your back when you're doing that. And, you know, you can stand up and go, well, you're so stupid. You clearly don't know the benefits of the Jefferson crowd. If you <laughs> coach Summers and listen to what it No, but it's like, no, it's just because they are approaching it from a different context and they, they're not aware that what you're doing is with a different intention. Mm. Because, and therefore, this, this cannot apply. So in the case of doing something, you know, correct or not correct, or if um, it's kind of efficient, um, it depends upon the context and what you're applying it for. In terms of then perhaps, you know, maybe this is to, maybe towards what you were thinking in terms of being efficient or inefficient, as in like going out of alignment and things like this. Um, I think this idea was kind of like a popular, it became a popular throw around thing, like out of alignment to just kind of, to confront more the idea of, hey, do we always need to work the kind of this linearly? Mm. I don't necessarily think uh, for the people that are still chasing it as like, oh yeah, we go out of alignment. I, I, I think that's, it's good to kind of step back from that as like, a, you know, we're the out of alignment people and just taking a softer focus and accepting all the valuable parts that all of it has to offer. Um, yeah, this kind of idea of out of alignment, um, I would just basically just call this prehabilitation. Like mm -hmm. you know, the, the prehabilitation that I provide, which is really closely at some point blends and even merges with you know, my perspectives on mobility. Mm -hmm. um, so prehabilitation would then be the idea of um, exposure to certain ranges that the um, the joints are you know biomechanically able to go through, but for some reason or another, whether it's neurological, psychological, physiological your body cannot or, or will not go there, um, such as very common deep flexion of the knee. Mm -hmm. Deep flexion of the knee. I mean, we need this. If we go up to down, we go from extended to globally compressed. So globally compressed requires deep flexion of the knee. It's not asking you know, people to go further than what is biomechanically you know, just built into the frame that we have. Um, if people then do want to explore more stuff that isn't so in our, um, you know, our physiological uh, potential, like standing on the hands, these are not built mm. to be stand on, these wrists are not meant to be weight bearing, you can do it. But then the ideas of you know, going out of alignment and things like this, you will have to go to certain places that that practice might take you. Mm. Um, if you are using a practice of locomotion, you may also find yourself going whether as part of the practice or shit just happens. I slip up when I'm in a weird position um, that we, there's certain exposure to certain ranges that are essentially for your, your living functionality, not necessary at all. Um, so in this terms of, you know, efficiency and going out of alignment, again, there needs to be a dual perspective. Um, the ideas of hierarchy and this is better than this and we need to just go to weird positions for the sake of it 
Um, you know, it, it, it was a nice kind of, you know, put forward. That's the, the idea that we're presenting. Um, but now dialogue, let's get down to the programming. Let's get down to the, to the implementing. How can we actually work this um, in a way that, you know, is when it's appropriate for some people and perhaps not appropriate for other people. So it always comes back to that idea mm. of what is the individual context. Yeah. And with mobility, I've heard you talk about it in terms of this like large and small frame. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What, what do you mean by these terms? Yeah. So um, again, it's, um, uh, it's not from a sense of like, okay, now we can map it out. This one is small frame. This one is large frame. This one is, it's not like that at all. It's, uh, it's uh, for it's more perspective mm -hmm. of the idea of mobility. The small frame mobility, um, it would start with the, sorry, looking at the, you know, the spine, um, as in these vertebrae don't, don't really move that much individually at all. Mm -hmm. And um, it's only in their, sorry, in their, in their combined, um, um, their combined work together um, that the global spine can move and twist in certain, certain spaces and certain mm -hmm. positions. So this is kind of small frame. Um, I would also then venture to look at even like finger work or work with the wrists or the ankles and toes as small frame as a point of programming. Because remember, when I'm presenting a program to someone, it needs to be digestible. So sometimes, you know, this is kind of goes under the, the idea of small frame. They can think, okay, small things, mobility of this it helps someone uh, work with that idea kind of more tangibly. Mm. Um, Large frame, I center around the perspective of forms, large frame forms, um, which is essentially what then became the, the idea of the, um, the splits um, pancake and bridging um, program that I released. Um, these are large frame forms. So your front splits, middle splits, um, various types of you know, bridging, um, front folding and things like this. And this is what I would call large frame mobility. And it could also be termed even like local and global. Um, this is a term that was used quite a lot by um, Carl, Carl Pauli in his books that he wrote, um, perspective of just local and global. So local mobility on these kind of small positions, um, small um, uh, kind of articulations, sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, then with more global forms, Instagram forms, right? <laughs> so but one of the, the, the important things to forefront with that, and I also forefronted this right at the beginning of the programming for splits, pancake and, and um, bridging, is that even though we are using these global large frame mobility forms as like in the name of the practice or they're written, you know, it says that's what the name of the movement is, you know, front split, you know, whatever variation it is. It doesn't mean that we're going for that form. That's a personal choice. I'm not going to force someone to get the splits. I'm not going to mm -hmm. force someone to get like a back bridge. However, it provides a context within which to develop that focused on an exploration of a movement context rather than I just want to get a bridge. It's like, no, we'll play around there in, the, in a bit. I use this analogy sometimes and people really don't get it. But I'm like, let's just visit Bridgetown for a bit. Let's visit, you know, let's visit, um, you know, middle split city for a while. We go for a weekend break there. We might just take a whole phase there. And mm -hmm. um, we'll definitely go back because there'll be more to learn when we come back. But unless someone says to me, I mean, if it's integral to their programming, it fits along with it. Like certain types of um, large frame mobility for the lower body are really, really going to help you with your handstand practice. Um, 
I would keep them there for a point of um, you know, furthering that exploration. Um, in some other cases, we might look at some splits development things. And if, um, if I look at the person's submission and they're at you know, a decent enough range, I mean, unless they really want to go further, I might even ask, hey, look, we can keep pushing forward with splits development work, or we can tune some of that time towards this other thing. What do you think? And in some cases, you know, people will say, hey, look, in all honesty, like I'm finding front splits a breeze. I'm not really getting much out of it. Can we move to something else? And that's like perfect. We can now use that space to put something else in. And now the practice is developed in line with their um, perspectives of what they want to explore as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this would be the difference between the large and small frame mobility. Um, small frame mobility is starting with, of course, the spine, and we would use that as just kind of a heading for that subject, and the large frame um, is more related to the forms that I've spoken about. Mm. And recently you've been releasing these videos on proofing on YouTube as well. Um, can you explain a little bit more about, yeah, this, this concept of proofing, and how does that sort of fit within, within practice? And, you know, you mentioned this core practice before as well. Yeah. So... The, the idea of proofing might perhaps be misunderstood as well. So the most simple way I can present it is proofing is a checking. This is what I mean by like a, a type of proof reading, like a trial running, uh, checking how it's feeling today. It's a quite simple thing. How do you feel today? Um, so proofing is quite essentially going through the available ranges that you have. Um, but what is often a barrier to this? I mean, someone who is, you know, aware of their movement, has experience with moving certain, you know, had certain frames in which to move their body, like ideas of how they can move the spine, for example, as opposed to someone, you know, you say, oh, you need to move your spine. And they're like, what? How do you mean? I don't understand. So um, when you do have these terminologies and vocabulary that you can express through your body, it can be very easy to prove. I mean, when I post these things, you know, many practitioners said, oh, this is the thing that I like normally kind of do. You've given it a name. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I think that anyone who develops a certain awareness is aware of certain things. Check that, kind of go through here. Onto the shoulder, the left one's always the tweaky one. Onto the neck, it's a bit bent up from whatever. And mm -hmm. um, this would be proofing checking how it feels. So then what I wanted to do with the idea of the proofing series is to go through essentially all the articulations um, in such a way that was providing very loose context through which people can move. And, it, and it's kind of, because they're kind of longer length, it's even, it's, you know, someone can sit there and just kind of move around, put the volume up and just kind of do it with it. Mm -hmm. It does help, as I mentioned in the videos, if you have a you know pre-established understanding of some sort sort of you know patterns and ideas like you know certain planes of waves or you know flexion extension is really basic vocabulary but again if i was only creating it for the benefit of those people who have familiarity with that it's not achieving it's not going towards what i want to do which is kind of open these ideas for, for more people um so the proofing as it goes through the different parts of the body it essentially presents um, contexts such as, you know, for the spine, taking impulses for the floor, moving and being moved, using the body to then move the spine or using the spine to then affect the body, um, which for me, um, when people presented some of these ideas to me, because many of them are also influenced from other people as it's mm -hmm. possible not to be, um, thankfully, uh, that when they were presented to me, they provided me with what I have called 
know, permissions. Like, oh, I can, oh, I can do it like that. That's like a permission that allows me to do that. Um, so I try to share certain ideas that, okay, so basically I'm working with a shape. So I'm drawing this shape in space when I'll give you a visualization. This is how you can visualize in order just to move. And this is short of providing specific stage-by-stage -stage programming for certain things. Although I do provide that for people who are in the online support program and also using the standardized programming. Um, but ultimately there is a second intention behind this idea of giving people context, you know, in which to kind of freely move and check. So there's proofing, there's checking of how they feel. And the second is um, starting to actually move. Mm -hmm. um, and now again, this can sound pretentious, like, oh, actually moving. You know, what I basically mean is being able to step away from um, pre-designated routines and sequences to then start to just, just move the body in space mm. um, with some intention. And this is really important because intention doesn't come for free. Um, by intention, I mean, like, what do you mean to do? And this would then be the difference between, you know, moving through space and um, actually affecting something and working on something consciously, mm. as opposed to um, what a friend and teacher of, uh, of mine has called being drunk on movement, which is mm. nice as well. This kind of ecstatic, just like, ah! uh, this is, yeah, it has its place. It has catharsis for its, its place in that. But as a point of, um, you know, research and investigation of yourself and uh, under the perspective of what I'm presenting, which is proofing, it doesn't quite gel. It would be something different. Um, a last kind of tack on from that. So we've got, you know, through proofing, giving people context in which to see how it's kind of feeling today. And the second point would then that leads them to then kind of just moving through space um, with some intention. And the third thing would be that it was also an extension for the people who have been practicing with me online after a certain amount of time mm -hmm. to get them away from practicing just routines. Like, you know, we can go through a lot of spinal work material. You know, we can work on this for like years, a couple of years. Um, the same as, you know, some other lower body complexity work and squat related stuff. But at some point, you know, just like the hand balancer who is proficient, sometimes it's just enough to, and jump on your hands hmm. and it's not necessary that you know, at the beginning of my practice i always do my pop routine pop, 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 pop. this has its place most definitely at a point at a time um, however at some point i want practitioners who work with me to be independent of that so hmm. for example in some cases I mean, I'm not sure how other people do their online programming. I, I, I do like research to see what they're doing and I just did what I thought would be best for people and also would gel with me and my perspective as well. So we start off with, uh, you know, a, a large part of the program is geared towards the idea of prehabilitation. But as I said, this becomes gel with mobility at some point. So like a third of the programming mm -hmm. that day would be like prehabilitation related. Um, but at some point, I want them to take that 15 minutes into their own hands. I want them to use, you know, patterns like the 1990 through moving through space. Mm. I want them to start, you know, just checking, being able to prove and see how it's feeling today. And then they might even just throw a song on, put a song on. And I just say, okay, spine proofing, two songs. And this is where I kind of like want to take people to a certain mm. point. 
and because that's essentially where I have gone in my own personal practice. And as I've always said, nothing more, nothing less. The online support program and the programming is a reflection of my experiences. It can be nothing more than that. And I wouldn't try to present anything more than what I've already mm. practiced myself and is, I believe, valuable to share with other people who come to me um, for help or for to collaborate and things like this. Um, so proofing for me was something that was always there. I mean, this idea, I, I wrote an Instagram post. The first one, I think, was when I was in... Um, when I was in Brazil, I was on the beach and I'd been spinal proofing and had this idea in my mind for a while. And it was the same thing I posted about it and people were like, yeah, this is what I do as well. And I was like, well, it's, a, it's definitely something that people who are interested in movement and moving the body ultimately do come to. Mm. Um, and for those who are kind of approaching that or are unfamiliar with it, um, I wanted to you know, present a short series, um, just bringing some insight into that and how I use it and how it works for me. I like this like kind of guidance to shift away from this structured exercise, right? Because I think it's a challenge as well for, for teachers where you offer guidance, where people come for guidance and a lot of it can, can be very prescriptive, right? It's like, follow this program, do this, do that. Uh, but we normally find that as we go deeper into these practices, right? We, there's this, curiosity to explore to just experience you know how the body moves and i kind of find it a little bit funny that you know you then also almost top down instruct them to to proof and to creatively explore as well right like do 15 minutes or do two songs of it mm -hmm. so how do you normally see that transformation within that person when then they just do start almost developing this independence so that concepts like this or exploration like this you get this sense that they're just or they are actually doing this yeah so um also with that as well with the idea of the prescriptive routines i think um if you develop programming for someone you're meeting this person for the first time right and you're dealing with them physiologically mm. um you should have certain processes in place and certain parts of, like, I'm not saying a standardized program, but what I'm saying is kind of go-to tools that will give you information about how they practice and what's available. So there will, this kind of prescription idea is always very important in the first instance because you're just working with someone. It's also important for me anyway to develop terminology of certain movements because these are movements that we will continue to use in the future in different varying capacities and interconnectedness. Um, so the, the, the prescriptive routine definitely has its place. And of course, there are also people that, you know, they come straight from the fitness world. And I mean, if me, as we mentioned earlier, I see myself as, a, you know, can be an inquisitive person and asking questions. It still took me, you know, only 10 years to get to the point of like starting to question what I was doing with my physical practice because it wasn't in, in um, harmony with the rest of my intellectual or whatever type of thinking. Um, so again, I'm not going to throw proofing at someone who is still getting the benefits from a prescriptive mm. practice. So it does most definitely have its place. And when I do introduce it to people and when I do in incorporate, incorporate it, um, it starts very, very slowly. Um, because again, I, it's very, it's very rare that if someone's been working with me for like less than you know, nine months or a year, um, even if they're, you know, what might be called a, a more proficient practitioner with some practice background that helps them a lot. 
Um, for two reasons. The first thing is it takes that long for me to give the certain vocabulary and for me to know that they've practiced it. Um, like even if people are like you know quite proficient with certain things, no, I'll still make them practice the set forms because I need to have this. We need to have this communication through movement. I can't be there and direct you and perhaps do some stuff with you and we can move together. So I need to understand that uh, we both need to understand that when we're working on spinal work. These are some of the things that we've established mm -hmm. and they can refer back to them. So I would give proofing then to people who have that, you know, established and understood with something like squat proofing. I wouldn't ask for a submission. It's their own personal work. I present the idea. There's, there's no kind of right or wrong about it. Mm. Um, there are some other more improvised forms. So for example, again, at a certain point when we've established certain locomotion patterns and we have kind of a set view, there are improvisation videos that I have, but restricted to certain forms. So for example, you have, you know, forward lateral bear crawl and, you know, like a crab walk with like a hole and you can do a high bridge rotation and like a, a gallop or maybe six movements, two minutes, record yourself for two minutes, please send the video to me. Um, so this would then also be an idea of this more kind of free flow, more open thing. But again, I wouldn't present that to someone until they've gone through the certain patterns in the way that uh, I present them or else we're just not speaking on the same page. Mm. Um, I think that's the whole idea of entering to someone with a collaborative relationship on your physical practice. And um, it's not always, you know, let me see what you can do. It's like, no, we work on something together. Now, what have you made with the tools and things that I've shared with you? Mm. Um, the proofing um, is not something I would ask for in, in terms of submissions, but with the idea of, you know, how do people respond to it and how do they take it into their own practice? You know, in many cases, and I, and I, I don't know it from watching them, it's like they've been doing it already. Uh, so in many cases, again, it's just like I just give them the permission. Mm -hmm. So when they see the, you know, squat routine or they haven't had a squat routine for a while, they've just been going through like ranges. And then I throw something in like low gate exploration. They know, ah, I can work with my poo-boo drop stats. I can start incorporating single leg balances. I can start working, entering and exiting the floor through the low gate position. And I know they'll be practicing it. But at the same time, um, very often I would just, I, I would just kind of leave it to them. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the ultimate, I say the ultimate goal, but um, essentially what I think is a nice, a nice perspective for anyone who offers help for someone, um, help, is temporary it's assistance mm. assistance is essentially okay you you can profit from me at the moment through other means i can profit from you we establish into a mutual relationship there has to be elevation on both sides you know but at some point it's like i'm kind of like just like don't you have enough programming now i mean this is never actually come to this point with a practitioner yet and i wouldn't <laughs> just tell someone you're free to fly but i would kind of their program would start to evolve in such a way when they would be like, I think I'm proficient to take this on, uh, you know, myself and construct it myself. And uh, you know, some practitioners who work with me for one reason or another, they have broken off from the online support program, some with the intention of developing it themselves and continuing their own structures. Uh, some have failed. Um, others have then in their own way, I've seen them through the stuff that they present online. They're using the tools that I shared with them and they're presenting it to their circle of um, uh, people in either where they live in their communities, who people they're connected with on their online platforms. And they're able to you know, share those benefits even further forward. 
And for me, I, I, you know, in a bad way, I, I feel pride in the sense of I'm like, that's, that's, I, it's, it's so nice that you are now able to reproduce this to another person in your own way. Like mm -hmm. you take it and you, you take it. And now you're, as from what I can see, also positively affecting other people. And it's like not something for me anyway, when I enter into something that might be called a profession would like, you know, hope for. It's something that is, you know, I, I don't think you can, if you have an ambition to really do that, you're putting a lot on your shoulders. So for it to happen and mm. um, have the feed, and you can see that it's affecting other, it's, it's spiraling across. This is really, really encouraging. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's humbling. Yeah, it's a really nice validation that, you know, the ideas that you're coming up with and spreading are, are good ideas, right? Because good ideas spread. Um, I wanted to ask about maybe something recently that you are learning maybe within a, a concept or a project framework and yeah, describe maybe your approach to learning something. Okay. Well, I start with my approach to learning something is um, of course, if you really want to dig into it, if it's a really juicy subject, if it's like a whole movement aspect, like it's like a dance or dance in general um, with your teacher that you should have, um shut the fuck up and listen sorry to to drop the f-bomb but it's like that's it even if you think you have something just just be like act like you're dumb i know this is weird like i just kind of like i would just stand and go okay even if i'm not sure i'm understand if it's something that's really integral to the moment i will of course ask for clarification but if i think it's just doubt just because i haven't come to comprehend it because i haven't practiced enough yet to comprehend it so there's no point of them even if they told me blank in my face and wrote it down on a piece of paper i would not understand it because i have not physiologically embodied it not neurologically embodied it the movement is not in my body shut up and just just go with it take it where it goes let the emotions kind of just happen try to be very very engaged but at the same time try to soften yourself against all these other things that are coming in and the context i'm thinking about specifically is um learning how to box which i'm you know just yeah it's like night oh yeah it's great i always i always wanted to learn to box or go to learn boxing because i was definitely afraid of it <laughs> really like mm. not afraid but you know curious but it yeah it's um I mean, I used to rough and tumble, especially with my older brother. I have an older brother who's always been um, a, you know, a warrior in his own way at heart. And he's a warrior in his profession now. He's a fisherman. And um, if anyone wants to take on, if anyone wants to talk about strength, here's one thing I'll tell you. Anyone want to talk about strength? Shut up about your deadlifts. Shut up about your, your, your curls. Shut up about your, your lifts overhead and your specializing in one thing and being really good at it. Talk to a fisherman who's never stepped in a gym before and just see how much weight he can lift off the floor. My brother goes to the gym probably about when he can get it about once in a month. And every time I go to that gym, when I go back to my hometown, the guy comes to me and goes, your brother came in there last month. I hadn't seen him for about three months. And he just threw 220 kilo on the bar and just lifted it up five times. And like, <laughs> yeah, man, because his profession requires him to lift in such a way that builds a type of strength over time that cannot be you know, equaled 
with you know many of the the popular perspectives on strength training today if you look back to the 1920s perspectives of strength training it's more in keeping with this type of you know the laborer lifting but um sorry that's a sidetrack um so i, I completely forgot your question again because I, I went off on the, on the side it was <laughs> about your approach to learning oh yeah okay getting punched in the face good so um yeah i go to boxing um I played a lot with my brother with these types of things when I was younger and kind of growing up, but then the strategy and the technicality of boxing, um, I have a really bad eye for other people's movements. I can sense people's movements when I'm in contact with someone or if I'm being moved, I can be very, very sensitive and I can respond quite well. Um, this is also why I like the context of Sistema as a, a martial arts practice. Um, I'm still, you know, I don't know, just a couple of years practicing this, um, this idea, I guess. Um, it's not, I don't use it as to learn how to fight. I don't use the schema to you know, learn how to be effectively combative. Um, I don't really see the value in the schema as mostly from that aspect. I see hugely other valuable things there from different perspectives. So actually to think about, you know, the combat martial perspective, um, Boxing was something that kind of just made sense. It's the classical Western style of, you know, kicking someone's ass. And um, I'm very bad at reading people's bodies. Whereas in Sistema, I can feel a lot because there's a lot of contact. But now, you know, for example, when I was playing Capoeira, I, I, I still just found it so difficult to judge when the kick was coming from the left or from the right. I would walk into it all the time, which just tells me that I have just a really bad sense of reading people's movements when in motion mm -hmm. um, in, a, in an unpredictable context. Now, when I'm looking at people's videos and submissions, I can, you know, even when I just see the thumbnail, sometimes I can go mm, without even watching the video. But this is different. This is an isolated context. But when moving in space in a dynamic context, and this doesn't help in boxing. So my nose is still like bruised here and but the one thing I did learn from that context of this idea of also just, you know, just shut up and let it happen is um, just taking it, trying to learn from the hits. In the beginning, it was like I got hit, but there was no register of why did you get hit? Mm. I was too much caught up in the emotion of like, oh my God, I'm new in boxing. And like, I have no idea what's happening. I'm just trying to kind of um, embody some of the images and sketches that I've seen people move like and what I see from people around me, which comes from the second part, which is look what other people are doing as well. Not like, no, when you're working like this, but when you have a chance to step back, observe hmm. how people are moving and um, try to register what are the important points. So, you know, one of the things in boxing is of course the footwork. You look at the feet, what are the feet doing? How do they connect in relation to the hips? How does it then produce what's happening in the arms? How are they moving through space? How is this person working differently to this? This should be supported with more of a fundamental background in terms of building a knowledge base around the, um, the sport or the discipline. I think this is really important, especially like the culture. And um, this is something that I found um, happened with me in the past when I was practicing these forms of you know, floreo and movements as presented by Ido Portal, completely abstracted from the world of Capoeira. And then when I entered the world of capoeira, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I don't, can't use these at all. I have no context at all. And not only that, I completely have no understanding of the incredibly rich 
culture and history that comes from capoeira. I have to learn about this out of respect for my mestre and for respect out of the other people who are invested in this. Mm. So that would also be something as well. Look through the archives of things, look at classic matches, look for you know, basic boxing history if you know nothing about it, like I had very little knowledge. Start then maybe looking at, you know, try to find certain YouTube channels that you, know, you believe they're presenting a certain perspective or producing you know, material or um, helpful things that you believe are of value. Um, and just kind of not like this is how I'm going to do it, I'm going to follow this thing, but just absorb yourself in it as much as you can. And then more than just, oh, I'm doing a bit of boxing or capoeira, it becomes research. And not in the pretentious way of researching a discipline. So no, you're researching it. You're researching it physiologically. Um, you're researching perhaps as a psychological side to it that you're reading into as well. Um, you're changing your practice, you know, what you use your media for. Maybe you're now gearing it more towards that type of thing to support that entire practice. So shut the fuck up and like listen just kind of okay unless you're of course really confused and you need to know what's happening um watch everything you can when the time is available to see what you know, is essentially happening how people are moving can you then just try to mimic and embody that that's a very useful one as well the mimic fake it just kind of try to move like that until someone goes hey look 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 it's not you're not muhammad ali yet just keep it on the ground okay then you get useful feedback and then the third one would be of course, the research, which is, you know, quote unquote, extracurricular, the history, the culture, and also, you know, techniques and tips or things you could pick up quite easily through readily available resources from reliable sources. Very nice. I like the, uh, the summary there. And at what point do you, I guess, move on to something else, you know, like you're into boxing right now? Are you searching for a particular point or a feeling before you're satisfied and you might move on to something else? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the perspective that, again, Ido, who's been a huge influence on me, has, has said many times is the idea of, like, where are the gaps? Um, it doesn't have to be where the weakness is, because weaknesses then suggest that you're trying to build, like, an invincible mover. This is not a perspective of mine. I'm not concerned with Optimo anymore. I don't really care. Like, I just want to just practice. Um, but even this is not 100% true because there are still things, of course, that you're just like, nah, I don't want to give that some go. Perfectly fine. Um, so I think with this perspective of looking for gaps, um, just going with that. So, for example, um, the reason I started, you know, looking into like capoeira and like sistema and also, you know, boxing is because I had no experience of um, the martial arts. None at all. A kid is doing karate. That was it for a few years. And, and of course, natural. I was lucky to have an older brother who could kick my ass and teach me a lot about street smarts, as Nestor Capoeira would say in his, his lovely little book, the, um, the, uh, um, the Little Book of Capoeira. I know the other one, actually. But in any case, there's a difference between... My brother isn't hugely intelligent. He doesn't have a college education and things like this. But he'll outsmart you. You better watch out. There's a difference between smarts and intelligence. Both are very, very valuable. Um, so I think looking into martial arts for me was the place that was just uncharted, essentially. Um, and of course, in the grosser context of that, the more macro context, if we take a step back, 
the subject is actually moving with another person in space. This is the more macro thing, the more mm. huge thing. So moving away from I'm just practicing myself and, you know, I do movement practice drills and stuff or being people, classes and friends. But as a practice, like a dedicated practice, I'm not moving with people in space, whether that's one or two or whatever. Narrow that down because I could have gone to dance and I did do some things with dance. And um, but this is something I have to come back to. Um, but I'm actually more inclined to kind of more expressive and express my movements um, in this way. So it wasn't of such a priority. So then it was then narrowing, okay, it's actually more than martial. I have no experience of um, balancing or bringing together this kind of dichotomy. It's not a dichotomy, but like we're between fight and play. Same thing. I have no experience to reconcile these two together and help subdue, you know, the very common, you know, social reactions to being affronted in what is generally seen as an aggressive manner um, i hadn't confronted these you know what do i do when someone punches me in the face and um you know i'm inside you know weakling and i just want to kind of jump back and run back in the corner you haven't got a choice man like you've, you've got a box <laughs> you go, that's it but even the purse just keep keep going keep mm. going that's it i mean i'm going to boxing this morning and like in all honesty i'm often like inside looking for an excuse not to like uh, but this is a good sign this is a mm. good sign because it means that every time i go there i'm confronting something and mm. um, so for me this is how i would direct that kind of exploration uh, and again as i said influence from the the ideas of Edo Podal, which is you know he also said x marks the spot that was that was his thing for me and i knew that boxing was kind of in the peak of those um martial arts uh, I mean, I've rolled a bit in uh, in jujitsu, but no experience of anything to kind of speak about to anyone or ever share anything with anyone that I've learned. Um, but I was more comfortable in this scenario. I was okay rolling on the floor. I, you know, I can keep myself to myself and my legs are quite mobile and strong so I can get inside, I can guard quite well. But in the sense of just keeping someone off me in general, standing up and flurry of fists and dodging it and reading the body in such a calculated way so that a turn of the face or a lift of the shoulder is gonna you know make or break that nah, don't have this no this is where i'm going yeah nice I, I really like that thing of like you know confronting almost like your darkness where you know it's going to scare you the most that's almost like the opportunity of for the greatest learning right yeah, yeah definitely. Is, is there anything that you would uh, share to yourself if you could go back in a time machine at the beginning of your movement journey, tell yourself a message, what would that be? Yeah, it'd be the classic, but it's the one, here's the thing. It would be patience. Just be patient. Just be patient. But that's the, that's the paradox of patience. You can't learn patience until you've been impatient about mm. it. <laughs> you have to be, it, it's, a, it's necessary. So although I would tell myself that the words would fall not on deaf ears, but on ears that don't really comprehend. And again, like I think, like I said before, that the practice of patience never ends. Um, it would fall on ears that had not really a comprehension of what that actually means. Mm. So I think in many cases, that is the case. All the things that I would like to share, it would be kind of like, Still, I would come back and sit here right now and speak to you and go, I know when old Jason told me that then, I think I'm starting to understand what it means. Still not really, but it, now it's becoming a value. Um, 
So it would just be a case of, yeah, continuing in, in, in what that thing that you're doing, because it's going to bring you to a point where you might start to comprehend some of these ideas and apply them for the benefit of yourself and hopefully the others that you work in conjunction with. Um, yeah, I mean, anything else kind of more cheesy than that, like, you know, yeah, keep going, boy, like, I, like yeah, yeah, not, not really, that. so unfortunately it's not so inspiring, what I would tell myself. Um, yeah, so that would be the extent of it. Just, um, I would perhaps emphasize patience, but, and the, the reason behind that is namely um, injury. Um, I have injuries that do last a long time because of it, essentially just impatience and um, one thing actually maybe more practical that I would share with myself which is something that then the person could you know or myself could then take on and apply is the idea of research more um, I was practicing physically a lot in my early stages of building certain capacities and uh, and, and physical potentials that are the things that I think some people get attracted to my work for today. Like, oh, this guy's really mobile or shows strength in certain contexts or blah, 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 or moves. However, mm. you know, a lot of that foundation was built in a time where I was grinding, like grinding on an island by myself for a year. So like the type of stuff that should only really be done for like six weeks or 12 weeks and then take a deload week, you speak to me then I'd be like, what's a deload week? you know and then like yeah this is if i researched a bit more if i had a bit more information but i just had a certain set of tools and i was like i'm going to drill just these tools and they were as we said before they were these types of tools that would be you know the the, the optimal tools to get mm. the job done but because of my my poor choices and i hadn't researched and uh, a failure to see what happens in not not so far in the long term um yeah, I, I pay the price and um, I'm overcoming some of those things, but some of those things will stay with me. And that's, that's my movement path. Mm, very nice. I like that one with the, with the second edition, because I'm sure if you just said patience to your younger self, you'd end up very frustrated. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And again, this is, it comes hand in hand, right? I mean, patience is frustration management as well. Mm. One of the most common things that comes along and um, it's a thing that I see as well, the, the, the danger on the far reaching side of frustration management when it's uh, unable to be applied is disassociation. You kind of break off and like you know, the classic British phrase would be, oh mate, I can't be dealing with that. Like it's, I can't be dealing with that mate. It's just, that's too, I can't do mm. it. So, and this is not productive for any type of practice. Um, so, you know, managing that frustration through the time is, part of what brings the patients ultimately those experiences of going through those those individual scenarios so final question just like to ask you what's uh what's on the music playlist currently because every time i watch a video you know heavy uk garage influence i pick up on so yeah just love maybe what's uh, a few top songs at the moment that get you going during your practice Heavy, heavy UK garage. Someone needs to do their, their, their research of British music. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I listen to a bit of garage, but no, it's drum and bass. It's my mm -hmm. passion. It's, it's my, um, my poison. Um, I've, drum and bass is a fantastic tempo of music, 170 to 175 BPM. It's great skipping music. Um, it's uh, a type of music that has been called the bastard child 
of electronic music because actually people who like house and people who like uh, techno and things like this very often don't gel with it um, because it's not it's actually not the same family it's metal music actually it's metal music then at, uh, played with you know, through electronics of course that's a crude no reduction because the genre itself spans wide and hugely and as a fan of drum and bass as a passionate you know, a practitioner of like a mixing drum and bass as well um is that i would say hey look you just haven't found the drum and bass that's right for you so there's this kind of this perspective on it um but the the music itself it's like if you go to a drum and bass gig it's it's full of energy whether that's emotional energy if it's even people crying for example um, or if it's people, you know, going off their nut and raving, there'll always be like metal heads there as well. They can gel with it. So this is why one reason why I mentioned to put that out there, where drum and bass stands. And in terms of uh, on my playlist right now, um, there's a really, really wonderful LP release recently by a Belgian producer who is UK based at the moment called Alex Perez. If you're interested in drum and bass and the range spectrum of drum and bass, He's the type of guy that if you listen to one of his tunes and you're like, oh man, that's not, that's, I can't listen to that. And then you listen to another tune, it sounds like it's not from the same guy in terms of the, the subject matter and the feeling of the music. Um, yeah, he just released a new LP, so you can, you can cop that if you're, if you're into drum and bass. It's, it's, it's more on the liquid, soulful side, very deep, very rolling. These is, this is the music that I will put on if I ever release a video and for example, I'm like, um, you know, doing some weird stuff very often. I'm, I'm dancing on the music with that. Um, so this is just one thing, Alex Perez, his new um, um, LP. Um, also, I do like personally really atmospheric music. Um, my, my, my partner hates it. Like uh, can come in and then it'll be this kind of like, uh, if you ever played the, the game Mass Effect, like kind of space effect, I use this a lot. For me, it's, it's really, really powerful. Uh, Mongolian throat singing. I also favorited a couple albums related to Mongolian throat singing recently. That again, have been really, really useful in my practice. Um, I mean, even if you look on my, <clears throat> on my Spotify, I have like three main types of music and I just name them like, for example, the, the main kind of, if I want to get something moving, pumping a bit of energy would be the, um, chimp tunes chimp tunes um if i need something kind of more easygoing something more explorative something softer something with more emotion that would be the bonobo balance <laughs> and then the third playlist which would be the more atmospheric side if i'm kind of doing you know concentration things or just standing practice or whatever would be um the alpha atmos the so alpha is like ape in german so I'll just be the alpha atmos so these three different um, playlists kind of represent the types of music I involve in my practice. Um, but the most recent one in terms of, you know, my, my favorite, which is drum and bass, would be the Alex Perez EP. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to go, go check them out and uh, get myself a musical right. education. <laughs> <laughs> it's a niche. It's a niche, so you can be forgiven. Yeah. So, yeah, for anyone who's listening, they want to go check out um, what you're about. Uh, dig in a bit more maybe send you a message what's the best way um if you're on social networking and you use like instagram um send me a message through instagram i i pretty much always reply to the instagram messages when they're not like these kind of trying to promote something or like just the, the, the profane ones <laughs> and uh yeah yeah i i reply i'm, I'm not really quite quick but i mean yeah, 
I think acceptable turnaround time is applied there. Some people message me through Facebook. I don't really use Facebook so much anymore. Um, and uh, YouTube as well. For example, people who are watching this and you are working on programs that I, I, I provide, uh, very often people say, you know, once I get the programming, do I like have your support? And there's two answers to that. Do you have my one-to-one -one support? No, because that's not what you're engaged in. You're engaged in a standardized program. Do you have my feedback? No, because again, feedback is when you submit me videos and I give you points and things like that. However, questions and you know queries on the movements and how it feels for you yeah you just write it in the, the the comments on the youtube video for the benefit of all using that program and i will reply on that mm. i reply on all the comments on the youtube videos because i'm not the type that gets like thousands and thousands so fortunately it's manageable and i can give like some extensive feedback to people so if you're looking at videos on the channel feel free to to message something on there again if it's profane or weird I'll just delete it so yeah <laughs> you can do that as well but it'll just get deleted and um, through the website, it's also possible to get me. So anything that's related to um, working together or just learning more specifically about you know, my perspectives and a bit of a story, if you're interested in that type of thing, that'd be the website, which is movemoremp for movementpractice.com. And then you can find all stuff on that there, like the online support and the programs and things. And um, if there's anything specific, there's, you know, there's the links in the, in the Instagram uh, tree that I put in there. If it's like, oh, I just watched this video, normally I'll put the link in there. It's also a way you can contact or connect through that. Awesome. Well, I'll include all those details in the show notes as well. But it was, it was a pleasure to connect and then hear, yeah, all these perspectives that I've been reading about for a while and then come out from uh from yourself and i really really enjoyed that and i can't wait to listen back on it again and i just want to say thank you hey no thank you very much as well as i mentioned at the, before we started recording um on a you know on a practical level unless there are people um who are engaging with the material that i produce engaging with the work that i do and the things that i try to share there, there is no community there is no Mm. no purpose um, so I always try to express my thanks to people who who do connect with me in any way um, it's all part of my practice as well working with other people in the, in the different um, in the different calibers and also yourself for giving an opportunity to be able to share some of you know the other the stuff that I just can chat on and on about <laughs> or on a platform where people can listen to it quite conveniently and not have to read reams of text or something mm. else so thank you very much as well Episode 28, guys, that was Jason Round. I really appreciate him jumping on, sharing his perspective, sharing his time for us. I got a lot out of that. I've been reading his posts for a while. He shares a lot through his writings and then also through his YouTube channel. I'll put the links in the show notes. I do recommend that you check them out. They are very, very, very good resources, both balancing the sort of high-level philosophy that sometimes comes with this whole movement culture, but also with a lot of practical tips on how to implement that into your practice. So please check that out. And thanks once again to you guys for always sticking around, showing your support. I do really appreciate that. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out, hit me up, 
You can find me on Instagram at Fayon P. That's at P-H-A-O-N-P. Or you can also find my details on the website. That's www.thepassivehang.com. And thanks once again for your support. Please, if you enjoyed it, share it with a friend. Otherwise, I will see you guys in the next episode.